0: Howdy, and welcome to Elden Lord, a video game lore podcast where we explore the beautiful worlds created by our favorite video game developers. So before we get started, I wanted to say I went back and listened to the first episode and it felt a little stiff. I did a lot of takes, I changed wording to get pronunciation right, and I tried to rein in my voice and be serious, but it didn't convey my love for the lore that I feel. I want you to feel as excited as I do, and... I cannot expect that from you if I don't give you that energy. Uh, I want to geek out about Lord like I'm talking to a friend, so today I'm going to refer to a script that I wrote based on information from the game as well as from the Elden Ring fandom wiki page to stay on track, but I'm going to throw in some thoughts as well as we go. I also was asked if this is the Elden Lord podcast or if I'm the Elden Lord or both. I'm not crazy about the idea of being referred to as Lord, but you can call me whatever. So to jump right into it, What does it mean to be an Elden Lord? By the game's definition, it would require one to be a consort of Queen Merica. However, Dragonlord Plucidisax once held the title in an era before the Erdtree, so him being Merica's consort wouldn't have been a possibility. Uh, So this then seems to contradict Godfrey's title of the first Elden Lord. So for this episode, we are going to focus on the Modern Criteria, or the Golden Order Criteria. An Elden Lord is a consort of Queen Merica the Eternal. That means we have two lords to discuss today, Godfrey, First Elden Lord, and Radagon of the Golden Order. But before we get to them, outside of being Queen Merica's consort, the Elden Lord does have other perks. These lords appear to have the ability to harness the power of the Elden Ring, though it is unclear to what extent. This leads me to believe that they are quite powerful, likely only succeeded by Merica herself. Now for the first.
1: Alas, I am returned, to be granted audience once more, upon my name as Godfrey, the first Elden Lord."
0: That voice line is a snippet of what Godfrey says to you when you first meet him in-game, just before the boss fight. Godfrey is perhaps the most iconic character in Elden Ring, he is present in a lot of promotional materials and is just plain badass looking. He's a hulk of a man with a pseudo mullet and a white tiger gripping one shoulder. That's something that's difficult to top. Godfrey is also related to many of the other characters in the game through the Golden lineage, so he's a very important character. He sired three children with Merica, Godwin the Golden, and the Omen Twins, Moog, Lord of Blood, and Morgot the Omen King. There are also other members of the Golden Lineage whose direct relation to Godfrey is unknown. These are Godric the Grafted and Godofroy the Grafted. Godfrey was the first Elden Lord, but this was not his name at the time. Before he became Merica's first consort, he was a vicious warrior known as Horalu. He shares the Lu name with Nefeli Lu, another character you can summon in game for your fight against Godric, and an NPC you can talk to later on in the roundtable hold, uh, which could indicate some relation. As Horlou, he is said to have had an insatiable bloodlust, which is likely what made him desirable for Queen Merica. More on that later. In order to contain his bloodlust, he is bound to the spectral beast Sarash. Though I cannot find any definitive information on Sirach specifically, I found a Reddit post that says, Just a theory, but that might be Sirash's axe that he took as a symbol of their partnership after he beat the fuck out of him and his kingdom said by user salad48, this referring to Godfrey's axe which reads, Weapon of Godfrey, Elden Lord. It was broken in a battle fought as leader of the Tarnished during the Long March. This weapon is symbolic of Godfrey's vow to conduct himself as a lord, later becoming an emblem of the Golden Lineage. Seeing as the axe became a reminder of his vow to conduct himself in a more tame manner, it seems plausible that Sirosh was his last kill, and wielding the axe bound Sirosh to him in some way. It is also fitting because when he kills Sirosh's spectral form, he no longer wields the axe. We'll get to that part later. At Merica's request, Godfrey led a campaign with his 16 Crucible Knights across the lands between, against anyone that would stand in the way of Merica's Golden Order or threaten the Erd Tree. Seems odd that he was still a brutal combatant even with Sirach. I definitely wouldn't want to meet him as Horloo. This campaign ended when Godfrey took the war to the fire giants and killed all but the sole giant we see in the game. We learn of this conquest through the in-game dialogue with Melina.
1: In Marika's own words, Hark, brave warriors. Hark, my lord Godfrey. We commend your deeds. Guidance hath delivered ye through each ordeal, To the place ye stand put the giants to the sword and confine the flame atop the mount let a new epoch begin an epoch glistening with life brandish the elden ring for the age of the erd tree
0: so it would seem that godfrey triumphed in his goal however america saw fit to take the grace from godfrey and his warriors banishing them from the lands between we also hear this from melina
1: In Marika's own words, my lord, and thy warriors, I divest each of thee of thy grace. With thine eyes dimmed, ye will be driven from the lands between. Ye will wage war in a land afar, where ye will live and die.
0: The first two Melana clips that I've showed you come from dialogue with her at the Churches of Merica throughout the game, and this next one we hear at the Church of Pilgrimage.
1: In America's own words, then, after thy death, I will give back what I once claimed, return to the lands between, wage war, and brandish the Elden Ring, grow strong in the face of death. Warriors of my lord,
0: Lord Godfrey." So it is possible that Merica sent Godfrey out so that he may grow stronger, but while he was gone she hooked up with Radagon, so that's a little sus. Godfrey persevered however and returned to the Erd Tree. During the cutscene where he mourns his son Morgoth, we see what appears to be the golden light of grace pointing him at us, so perhaps Merica spoke the truth in some way and did give grace back to him. To return to what I mentioned about Sirach earlier, during our fight with Godfrey, He realizes how strong we are, and his only chance of beating us is to unleash the warrior inside. He then kills Sirach and returns to his original identity. Thou
1: didst me good service, Sirach, I've given thee courtesy enough. Now i fight just Horaloo! WARRIOR!
0: As we see in the second phase, he is far, far more aggressive as Horaloo. However, we do eventually best him, and that ends Godfrey and Horaloo's story. Now we can jump into the second Elden Lord, Radagon of the Golden Order. Radagon is noted as a great warrior during the Lyernian Wars. He was referred to as a great champion with flowing red locks. The Liarnian Wars raged on for years as Radigan fought against the carrion queen, Rinala. However, after the two sides failed to best one another, Radigan decided, if you can't beat them, join them. We learn of this from Muriel, Pastor of Vows.
1: Radigan once cleansed himself with celestial dew, repented his territorial aggressions, and swore his love to Rinala. The order of the Erdry and the fate of the moon were conjoined, and all the wounds of war forgiven."
0: So he cleansed himself with the Celestial Dew. The item's effect in game is to undo any NPC aggro that you take on, so he effectively hit reset on his relationship with Rinala, and then declared his love for her. The two then married and had three children, Radon, Rikard, and Ronnie. However, there would be trouble in paradise. Similar to Merica's treatment of Godfrey, Radigan abandoned Renala and went to the capital to become Merica's new consort. This left Renala inconsolable. Now Radigan's lore gets weird when we are told of a secret by Muriel.
1: You know, it's said that Lord Radigan harbored a secret. A famed sculptor of the Erdtree capital was once summoned to render Lord Radigan's likeness in giant stature. when he glimpsed the skeleton in Radigan's closet. And as such, it's said, the great statue harbors his secret, too."
0: In the game, there is a statue of Radigan and Leyndell. If you perform the Law of Regression spell in front of it, the statue will change from depicting Radigan to depicting Merica. This seems to indicate that Finkel is Einhorn. Despite this, Radigan and Merica still had two children, twins, Melania and Micola. This form of reproduction led to the twins suffering awful afflictions, though Melania seems far worse. Mikala was cursed with eternal childhood, and Melania was afflicted with scarlet rot. I still do not fully understand how Radigan and Merica can act independently but still be one being. I originally thought that they may have been two unique beings and combined into one. However, we know them to be separate based on the intro to the game. The shattering, which we covered in last episode, shows us that Merica shattered the Elden Ring, but Radigan still sought to repair it despite failing. This seems to indicate that their wills do not align somehow, even though they are one body. Uh, As a result, when Merica was imprisoned in the Erdtree, Radigan was as well. And we end up fighting him in the Erdtree at the very end of the game. That's all for the Elden Lords. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy the style of recording. And for any feedback, please feel free to reach out to me via email at podcast.eldenlord at gmail.com or Twitter. I have a Twitter now at twitter.com forward slash Eldenlord. And I'm going to post a poll on the show as well. Should I go by Derek or Lord? Let me know.